Life Changes Church, we are in season two of the Promotable Life series. It is going to be an incredible word. So grab a notebook and a pen and get ready. But we are in the second last week of our Promotable Life series, looking at the life of Joseph. And just to recap what's happened so far, we met Joseph, a young Joe. He was 17 years old. He thought he had the world ahead of him and that he knew everything, but that he gave this, he got a dream from God and he told his brothers what this dream meant, that his brothers and his father would eventually bow down to him. If you're taking any notes, never say that to anyone. It won't go well. We just have to look at Joseph. His brothers are so overcome with jealousy and hatred that they throw him into a pit. They want to kill him because they are jealous of him. They are jealous that he is the father's favorite. They are jealous that he is going to get the inheritance and apparently God favors him as well. So they throw him into a pit, but eventually they are convinced not to kill him, but they sell him into slavery, which isn't much better. But Joseph goes into slavery and then he finds himself in Potiphar's household, the uh, head of the prison guard, and he actually works his way up and he is overseeing all of Potiphar's household. And so God's hand is in his story. But then he is falsely accused of rape by Potiphar's wife. And then it is an unjust act and he is thrown into prison. And then we see Joseph in Potiphar's household and prison for around 13 years he spends there. 13 long years he spends in that space, in Egypt, in a foreign land as a slave. And he thinks, maybe, maybe he thinks that God has left him. Maybe he is still worshiping God. We don't know. But what we do know is that he is crying out. And he eventually gets a winemaker, sorry, the wine taster and the baker. And they land up in prison. And he interprets those dreams. And he says to the baker, actually, bud, it's not looking great for you. You are going to be impaled. But the wine taster, you're good to go. So that's what happens. And the wine taster is restored to Pharaoh's seat. But he forgets him. And Joseph cries out and says, remember me. Remember me, Joseph. I'm here just rotting away in prison because of what my brothers did. But please don't forget me. But again, we know the story that actually the wine taster forgets. Joseph continues to be in prison. But then eventually the wine taster goes, actually, I remember this guy. And Pharaoh needs a dream interpreted. And so they call Joseph, but now Joseph is a little bit different. He's learned, he's grown in who God is. He's grown in what God wants to do in his life. And he says, I can't interpret the dream, but God can. Because he knows that he wants to bring glory to God, that he is a son of God, and that he has been sent to reveal God to the nations. And so he tells Pharaoh what this dream means, that there's going to be seven years of plenty, seven good years in the land, but then there's going to be seven years of famine. And then we see Joseph in this point in the story that actually all the nations are coming to Egypt to buy grain. They are coming to Egypt to look for resources because there's famine in the land. And even his brothers come to Egypt. Jacob sends the brothers to Egypt to go buy grain. And then Joseph sees his brothers come. And he recognizes who they are in an instant. But they don't recognize him. Because he's in full Egyptian garb, he's wearing the Egyptian clothes, he's speaking the Egyptian language, but he knows his brothers. And I can imagine at that moment, he's seeing these ten brothers come up towards him, and he must be seething with rage. He must be so angry, so bitter, and he is going to get one up on the brothers. They are finally going to get a snort clap 
for everything that they did to him. He is going to get justice. They are going to feel the hurt that he felt in that moment. But actually, that's not how the story plays out. We see something completely different. And so tonight, I want to speak about what I think is the pinnacle of the story of Joseph. And that is forgiveness. That actually, when we look at the life of Joseph, we look at a life of forgiveness. Because he was able to forgive his brothers, but not just out of a normal, ordinary act of humankind. I believe that it was a supernatural act of God. Because in the natural, I wouldn't have forgiven those brothers. They left me for dead. They sold me into slavery. They ruined my life. I was rotting in prison for 13 years. But actually, Joseph forgives them. He extends grace. And we're going to read now and look at the story, how it unfolds. But I want to say, will you open up your hearts this evening? Will you open up your hearts to what God wants to do in your story? Maybe there's someone who's hurt you. Maybe there's someone who's maligned you. Maybe there's years and years of hurt and disappointment and anger and bitterness that you've been carrying because of something that's been passed down into your story. Maybe it was a spouse or a family member or a parent or a boss who actually um, who, who broke into your story and caused chaos. I want to say, will you allow God to work tonight? Will you allow God to work in our hearts? Because when we forgive, we will see the favor and hand of God in our lives. That the Christian life is a life of forgiveness. We can't have the promotable life without a life of forgiveness. And this whole promotion of Joseph to the prime minister is actually a promotion of the Son of God, the Son of Man revealed to the nations. That Joseph is just a son of God. He's just an ordinary guy, but he is the son of God, and God is using him to reveal his kindness to the nations. So we look here in Genesis 45, verse 1 to 15, and it's on the screen behind me, and you can read with me. But it says this, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. This is when the brothers are with him. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But the brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. I can imagine what they were thinking at that moment. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. That's quite a thing. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all you have, I will provide for you there. Because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. 
you can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded to me in Egypt and about everything you have seen, and bring my father here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him weeping, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked to him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that tonight that you will speak through me and that you will get all the glory. But I pray that we will have open hearts to what you want to do, Lord. That maybe we have been hurt, maybe we have been downtrodden, maybe we've been dealt a rough hand in life, Lord. But I pray tonight that forgiveness will reign, that forgiveness will flow, that we will access the forgiveness that you gave to us, Lord. But I also pray, Lord, that you will be glorified tonight. That each and every one of us here will know your presence, will know the touch of heaven, will know that you are real and that you are personal, and that you want a relationship with us, Lord. But it starts with your forgiveness, and it, start, and it goes from there. So we just pray, have your way, Lord. Will you get all the honor, all the glory. Amen and amen. But see, what is clear from this narrative is that pain and struggle in life is going to happen. In every circumstance, Joseph decides to glorify God. Whether he was in the pit, whether he was a slave, whether he was in prison, he chose to live a life to glorify God. And so I don't know about you, but I can sometimes flippantly read through these pages that I don't actually look at this life as a historical account as of a human being. But Joseph was just an ordinary man like me and like you. He had feelings. He would have been seething at this moment. And the Bible doesn't tell us when Joseph forgave his brothers. It doesn't say if he forgave them when he was in the pit. It doesn't say whether he forgave them when he was in prison. We don't know if he had forgiven them up until this point. But what we do know is that he's just a normal human being like us. He would have been raging at what they've done. Remember, his brothers left him for dead. That's not just a simple thing. It's not like he had this life plan that he would go into a pit and then become prime minister. That wasn't part of the plan. But they do this unjust act towards him. And I can tell you, he probably felt self-justified that they need to get justice. He needs to get justice against them. That he needs to get vengeance against them. That they need to feel what he felt all those years. Because as human beings, self-justification is one of our greatest traits. We feel self-justified when people hurt us. We feel self-justified when we have been wronged. But Joseph lives a different life. And I know that each and every one of us have been hurt. Each and every one of us have a story with pain and suffering. I know that I have been hurt time and time again by people I trusted or that I am close to. And I am privileged to preach on a Sunday. I am privileged to be a pastor in this house. And I absolutely love it. But the people that I am closest to are also some of the people who have hurt me the most. I'm just going to be honest. And I come here on a Sunday and I worship God. But I have to stand next to the person who maybe shouted at me the week before. Or I have to stand next to the person who spoke ill towards my family or something like that. But I have to come before God and I have to go, God, will you give me the grace for this story? But each and every one of us have a story of pain and hurt at the hands of someone else. 
And I look in this room and I know that there are stories that make me embarrassed that my little story of pain and forgiveness is nothing compared to yours. There's people in this room that I know who have been sexually abused by family members. I know there's people in this room who have been mistreated because of the color of their skin and their race. I know there's people in this room who have had bad bosses and who have gotten dealt a rotten hand in life. I know there's people in this room who didn't have parents. And if they did have parents, they weren't great and they didn't parent. And you've been dealt circumstances where you had to sort out the mess, you had to sort out the chaos. I know there's people in this room who maybe didn't even have parents at all. And I've sat with families and I've sat with people. And I sat with a, a young lady who was sexually abused by her grandfather and disowned because her family did not believe her for 18 years. I know there's pain and I know there's suffering. But the story of Joseph wants to break into our hearts and God wants to bring healing and restoration through forgiveness. And when we carry these hurts and when we carry this pain for so long, I promise you that it will always grow into something more. That unforgiveness always grows into something more. It grows into disappointment. It grows into bitterness. It grows into resentment. And then those things become controlling our lives. We view our life through those lenses, through the lens of disappointment, through the lens of bitterness. And we become negative and we allow the enemy in and we wonder why we don't see life in our lives, why we don't see God's freedom and goodness. See, unforgiveness will never lead to freedom, but God wants to bring freedom tonight. He wants to bring freedom from your hurt. He wants to bring freedom from your pain, and it is on offer for each and every one of us. See, first point tonight is unforgiveness is about me, and you may be saying, Michael, you don't know my story. You don't know my spouse and how they have hurt me, how many times they have been unfaithful. No, I don't. Michael, you don't know my parents, and how they abused me, and how they didn't take care of me, and how I was always fearful. No, I don't. Michael, you don't know my boss, and how they shortchanged me time and time again. No, I don't know your story, but so, ma'am, God does. God knows your heart. God knows your life, and he is in complete control. He is sovereign. He is in every moment and of every moment. And when we look at the life of Joseph, we look at a man who believed and trusted in God. That God was God on high when he was in the pit. God was God on high when he was in the prison. God was God on high when he was prime minister. And I want to say, will you trust in God tonight and will you let forgiveness come in your heart? Because the life of unforgiveness is one of us. See, when we live a life of unforgiveness, we are living in a prison and we have the keys to that prison in our own hands. We have placed the shackles on ourselves and we are choosing to stay there. Forgive, unforgiveness will never lead to life. Unforgiveness does not glorify God. And I know this is challenging because it's challenging to my own heart. But I pray that you will hear my words tonight that actually God wants to bring redemption and restoration and freedom here tonight. And it is his, for his glory that he wants to do that. Not for your own story, but for his glory so that he can get all the glory in your life. And, but it's easy and it's natural to feel self-justified that we have these feelings, that we've been hurt, that we've been downtrodden. 
But God did not forgive us because we deserved it or because we made him feel a certain way. He forgave us because of his grace. And we need to remind ourselves that we can forgive others too because of the grace that has been given to us in Jesus Christ. So just as Jesus forgave us, we too must forgive others. See, it's when Paul writes to the Corinthians church and there's this man who has persecuted them and hurt them and they feel self-justified to bring justice on this man. He says these words in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 10 to 11. When you forgive this man, not if you forgive this man, but when you forgive this man, I forgive him too. And when I forgive whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority for your benefit so that Satan will not outsmart us for we are familiar with his evil schemes. I want to tell you that the enemy is real and he wants to use unforgiveness in your story for his plans and for your purposes to rob the plans and purposes that God has for you. And so when we partner with him and when we allow the enemy to come in and we open a door through unforgiveness, we will become irritable, we will become bitter, we will start quarreling with one another, and then we will not be the hope of the world, the local church. We will not be the manifold wisdom of God, and we will not be the light to a watching world. If we want a powerful church, it starts with forgiveness. If we want a powerful church, it starts with His grace. If we want a powerful church, it starts with His favor, His glory, not our own story. See, unforgiveness is all about us. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we do not have the luxury of unforgiveness. I'm going to say that again. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you do not have the luxury of unforgiveness. We are called to a different standard. We're called to a God standard. And it won't always be easy, but I promise you forgiving is freeing. And I don't know about you, but I want to live free. I want to live free, free of the shackles of the enemy, free of years of hurt and pain and trauma, free of years of pain from generation past to generation, free from racism, free from prejudice, free from the pain of a broken political system. I want to live free. And that's on offer through Jesus Christ tonight. See, firstly, unforgiveness is all about me. But my second point is forgiveness is not about me. Now, what do I mean? You say, Michael, you're asking me to forgive. So how is it not about me? Well, forgiveness is not about me. It's about him. I can only forgive my brother. I can only forgive my sister. I can only forgive those who wronged me because of God's grace. I can only forgive those who wrong me if I have my eyes on eternity and what God wants to do in my life. See, if I forget that I am part of a big story, that I am part of an internal inheritance, and that he wants to use my life for his glory, for his plans, for his mission, so part of his gospel and his kingdom, then I am always going to live a small life. See, when I take my eyes off him, I become small. And unforgiveness wants to take our eyes off our Father in heaven and put the, our eyes on our own story, our justice, our redemption, our need, how we were hurt. But I promise you tonight is find your safe place in your Father in heaven. See, we know from Joseph that he was hurting. He knew that his brothers wronged him. He knew the years that he 
had been in prison and what they had caused him. But he chose to fix his eyes on God. There's a bigger story here. There's eternity at stake. How does Jesus teach his disciples to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, not earth, heaven. There's a Father in heaven who knows your story. There's a Father in heaven who breathed you into existence. There's a Father in heaven who loves you and pursues you and sent His Son, Jesus, to Christ to die for you. There's a Father in heaven. And then it goes, hallowed be your name, which means I will trust you. Our Father who art in heaven, we trust you. We place it in your hands. We leave it in your hands, our pain, our suffering. And we ask you to give us the grace for the rest. Forgive us of our trespasses as we too forgive those who trespass against us. Wow, that's quite a thing, eh? Forgive us of our trespasses as we too forgive others? But God, you don't know what they've done to me. Yes, he does. You don't know how they've hurt me. Yes, he does. And he's still calling us to forgive others because we have received the same grace in Jesus Christ. See, we need to live with eyes of eternity. When we take our eyes of the bigger picture, that there's a God in heaven and that he will get all the glory, that he is in control of every situation, he is of, situation, of every situation, he is sovereign and his providential hand is in our story. When we take our eyes of that truth, that's when we allow bitterness in our heart. That's when we allow the schemes of the enemy to take hold. That's when we will live a small life. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to live a small life. I want to be free. I want to see God's life and life in abundance in my story. I want to abide in him and see the riches of his grace flow through me. But so that he can get all the glory. It says this in Ephesians 4 verse 31 to 32. Get rid of all bitterness, all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just in, as in Christ God forgave you. I'm not always kind, I can tell you that. But when we look at our brothers and sisters, do we see their sins? Do we see their shortcomings? Do we see their failings? Or do we see the blood of Jesus Christ in their story? If you had to take my sins and you have to put it on that wall, I promise you it would completely cover that by that field banner. You would not see any other thing. You would not see anything but the sins that I have committed in my life. But the reality is that when God looks down at me, he doesn't see my sin. He doesn't see my failure. He sees the perfect and finished work of Jesus Christ. And when we forget that, when we forget that that's what God has given us, I promise you we will not be able to forgive others. We will find it hard to forgive. But when we remember the grace of Jesus in our story and that he has called others and that the people sitting in this room are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, that he has adopted them as well into his family and he has a purpose and a plan for them and he has called us together to dwell in unity. And when we dwell in unity, God commands a blessing and that we will be the hope of the local world. Uh, the church, local church will be the hope of the world and we will be a light to nations and when we realize that, we realize God's story and how he is working in each and every moment. See, how does Joseph forgive his brothers? Firstly, he says, everyone leave my presence. 
Why did he do this? Because he wanted to cover his brother's shame. He didn't want anyone in Egypt to know what they had done. So he asked the interpreter, he asked the attendants, leave my presence, leave me with my brothers so that their shame can be covered, just like Jesus covers our shame. See, we don't need to know one another's sins to forgive them. God forgives us just as we are when we come towards him. See, I'm going to tell you something that may be a little controversial even tonight and challenging to our hearts. You don't even need to sit with the person in front of you to forgive them. See, oftentimes we want to hear a sorry. We want to hear how they have wronged us. We want to lord it over them and maybe cause a little bit of fear so that they know that they have done us wrong. Just forgive them. Just forgive them. Just as Jesus Christ forgave us, will you forgive that person this evening? Will you forgive that person maybe of 10 years who has wronged you? Will you forgive them? Will you make a phone call tonight to a family member who you need to and forgive them? Will you forgive your family? Will you forgive your spouse? Will you forgive your mother or whoever it may be? Will you forgive them? Because Jesus is commanding us to do that. What does he say to his brothers? I am Joseph. Come close to me. When I read that, it wrecked me. This is a man who was in prison for 13 years almost. And then he says to his brothers, come close to me. Wow. Do you realize that that's exactly what Jesus does with each and every one of us when we sin, when we fail, when we mess up? Come close to me. Come close to me. Corinne, come close to me. Michael, come close to me. Danny, come close to me. Come experience my grace. Come experience my love. Come experience the forgiveness that I offer to you. Come close to me. And when others have hurt us and wronged us and shamed us, will we say, come close to me, forgiveness is on offer. Come close to me. Experience the grace of Jesus Christ in my life, and it is on offer to you as well. It's challenging, I know. But it's the Bible, it's his words, it's his standard, not my standard, not your standard, his standard. Will we forgive? Will we choose to take forgiveness in hand that he has offered us and extend it to others? Come close to me. See, forgiveness is not about us, it is about him. Because Joseph knew that it was all about God. He says these amazing words, it is not you who sent me here. God sent me. God sent him to Egypt. God put him in the pit. God made him a slave. God allowed him to be in prison. God sent me. He had full confidence that God had sent him. What's your circumstance right now? Can you say that God has sent you? To your circumstance. Maybe there's brokenness. Maybe there's pain in your family. Maybe you're this close to a divorce. Will you believe that God has sent you? Will you believe that his hand is on your life? Will you believe that he is in complete control? Joseph believed that. He trusted in God. As a people, we have to trust in God. We will never access his grace if we do not trust in him. We will never see his favor if we do not trust in him. We will never be part of his mission fully if we do not trust in him. Do we trust in God? See, forgiveness is at the heart of the Christian life. We cannot have a Christian life without forgiveness. 
The two go hand in hand. And it is weaved through our personal stories. And it is in each and every one of our stories. And we need to realize that. And we need to realize just as Joseph forgave his brothers time and time again. We too need to forgive others time and time again. They may wrong us again. They may hurt us again. But will we forgive them again? They may wrong us again. They may hurt us again. But will we forgive them again? Because when we fast forward a few years in Genesis 50, Jacob has died and the brothers are once again terrified that Joseph will punish them because their father has now died. But what does Joseph say to them? Don't be afraid. Am I in place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and for your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Well, we speak kindly to one another. Not only does Joseph forgive them, he blesses them. If you're struggling with unforgiveness tonight, and you're struggling to forgive that person, bless them. And pray to God and say, God bless them. And then God may say, must I really bless them? And you go, well, maybe. (laughs) No, bless them. Okay, but what if I do it? Whoa, you wouldn't do that, eh, God? No, bless them. And then he may bless them. But I promise you, once you say those words, once you ask God to bless them, you will see freedom come in your heart. You will see the shackles of, uh, of the unforgiveness come off. And you will see his space and his grace in your life. Because he's wanting to do that for you as well. Can I ask us to stand to our feet? And I'm going to ask Olivia to come up. See, there's this amazing lady called Corrie Ten Boom. And she was a Jewish lady in the height of World War II. And what she did with her father and her sister Betsy is that she harbored Jewish people in her house for uh, safekeeping, and she kept them from the Nazis. But eventually she was found out, and her, her sister, and her father were sent to a concentration camp called Ravensbrück. And unfortunately, she saw her sister perish at the hands of the Nazi SS officers. She saw her sister suffer, she saw her father suffer, and they both died in that concentration camp. Her sister died on the day that that concentration camp was released. And two years later, she was preaching in a town hall in Munich, and she was preaching on forgiveness. And after she preached about this message about forgiveness, she she saw this man come towards her in a heavy coat. And he started walking towards her, and in an instant, she recognized this man. Because he was one of the guards in that concentration camp where her sister perished. He was one of the guards that she walked naked, passed naked, time and time again. She was one of the guard, he was one of the guards who actually beat her sister. He was one of the guards where her sister and her father perished. And she saw this man come towards him, come towards her. And he walks towards her and he says, you mentioned Ravensbrook in your preach. I was a guard there. 
But I want to tell you, Fraulein, that I have now found Jesus. And He has forgiven me of my sins. And I am washed clean. And now I am free. And she was terrified in that instant. And He extends His hand towards her. And He says, but I want to hear these words from you. Will you forgive me? And she goes on to say this. And I stood there. I whose sins had every day to be forgiven. And I could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow and terrible death? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there hand held out. But to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever to do. For I knew I had to do it. The message that God forgives has a prior condition. That we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. The will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. So I prayed silently. I can lift my hand, Jesus. I can do that much, but I need you to supply the feeling. And so woodenly and mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arms, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing me to tears. I forgive you, brother, I cried. With all my heart, for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former God and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on His. When He tells us to love our enemies, He gives, along with the command, the love itself. And so just as her hand was outstretched to that God, Jesus' hand is outstretched to you right now. And He's saying, come close to me. Will you come receive the forgiveness that is on offer? Will you come receive my grace? Will you come receive my hope? Will you come receive my restoration and redemption? And so I'm going to ask you to close your eyes right now. And if maybe you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ before, right now will you hear these words, come close to me. Come close to me, my son. Come close to me, my daughter. Maybe you've run far and you've, you've lost trust in him. Will you come close to him and receive the grace of Jesus Christ? And so with all eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right now. I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that your blood washes us clean as far as the east is from the west. When the Father looks down at us and our stories, He only sees you, Jesus Christ. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you 
will live inside of them and anoint them and seal them, Lord. And that you will get all the glory in their story and they will choose to follow you above each and everything. And now maybe for others in this room, and I know that my hand will be outstretched as well. If you need to forgive someone tonight with all eyes closed, this is between you and Jesus Christ. If you need to forgive someone and let go of the years of bitterness, hurt, disappointment, resentment, will you right now raise your hand to your King of Kings in heaven? He's saying, come close to me. And right now in your hearts, and maybe even with your breath, will you say, I forgive them. I forgive them, Jesus. I forgive them of the hurt. I forgive them of failing me. I forgive them of the years and years of whatever they did. Keep your hands outstretched to Jesus. He's wanting to bring healing tonight, church. As a young man, I know there's many years of pain and suffering ahead of me. And I can't know each and every one of your stories and what has happened. But he's wanting to bring healing tonight. If you need forgiveness or need to forgive someone, will you, you stretch out your hand to Jesus Christ? No matter what other people may think of you, will you stretch out your hand? Because he's wanting to bring healing and freedom and break the shackles of unforgiveness. He wants to break the door down that the enemy has opened into your life. And I promise you there will be freedom and wholeness and spaciousness in your heart. So Jesus, we thank you. Right now, we thank you for your presence here. I pray that as people wake up tomorrow morning, that they will feel changed and transformed. That they will feel made new. That the old has gone and the new has come. That in that hurt... You've replaced it with your grace and your love. And just as those people hurt us, Lord, I pray that you bless them. May you bless them. May you favor them. May your face smile down upon them. May you give them peace. We ask you to do this of our enemies, Lord. That forgiveness is countercultural. It's not of this world. It's different to this world. But that the Christian life is a life of forgiveness. And so we accept that tonight, Jesus Christ, that you have forgiven us. Those who are battling with shame and can't come close to them because of what they've done, lay that at the feet of Jesus Christ. Lay your shame and your guilt because just as Joseph covered the shame of the brothers, he covers your shame. Come close to me. Come close to me. And so we do in this moment, Jesus. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you that you are here. We thank you that you are mighty to save. We thank you that without us, without you, we are nothing. We are bankrupt without you, Lord. 
We have nothing without you. I pray that we will believe that, Lord. In every moment, we will believe that. That you are enough for our families. You are enough for our peace. You are enough in times of anxiety. You are enough, Lord. But our life will be a life of forgiveness forevermore. That we will continue to forgive and forgive and forgive. That we will be slow to anger but quick to forgiveness. And that when the world sees that, they can only help but notice the power of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for watching. If you'd like to take your next steps or find out what's happening in the life of the church, head over to our website or follow us on social media. We can't wait to see you soon.